Good morning. You're right. I, I've been telling people that I am uh, height challenged and width gifted. So, you know, short of stature, um, that, that uh, does make it appropriate, doesn't it? Well, yeah. I will not do that again. I, <laughs> I am, uh, as Anne said, I'm Wendy Woods. I am not Dan. It is my privilege to bring you a message this morning as we continue our, our series on what disciples do. So this morning, we're gonna talk about the fact that we do repent. So my first question, and, and I, I will beg your pardon in the beginning, and that is not a pun, that was intentional. Um, I do like audience participation messages. So there will be questions, and I will hope that somebody will at least raise their hand or shout it out or whatever. So my first question, how many of you in the last 24 hours have used the expression, excuse me or pardon me? Yeah. I must have said excuse me or pardon me at least 60 times yesterday because I'm always running into somebody or coming around a corner too fast or something. Now, in that moment when you said pardon me, did you wait for them to pardon you? Did you expect them to pardon you? And more importantly, were you truly asking for pardon? Or did you just want to get by and get the can of soup? Right? We use that phrase all the time, and we use it very glibly. We accidentally bump into someone, we yawn, whatever, and we say, oh, excuse me. Pardon me. We use it glibly, but we don't wait for it. It doesn't mean anything. In that moment, moment, we are not truly asking for pardon. Now, Anne reminded us last week that the difference between Christians and non-Christians is that Christians do what? We, we accept that we are sinners. We know that we sin. And we're aware then of the need to repent of that sin. So this morning we're going to look a little closer at that word, repent. She, she tried very hard not to get there last week. It was really hard. It was an effort, but she managed. Then she left it for me. When I was younger, Somewhere, it might even have been way back before fourth grade when I was in a Lutheran school, a teacher told us that the definition of repent is to turn around. Just turn around. A dictionary definition of, def of repentance advises that repentance is the act of leaving behind what God has forbidden and returning to what God has commanded. So let's put them together. And that means you turn around and leave behind you the sin. Leave it back there. And return to the life. Walk forward into the life. Go forward into the life that God wants you to live. So who is the first person you thought of when I said, turn around and don't look back? Somebody must know the story. Who turned into a pillar of salt? 
Exactly. Lot's wife is the first person that when I thought about the word repent, I thought, well, Lot, Lot's wife, she was told to turn around, leave it behind her, and go this way and don't look back. Did that work well for her? No. However, in today's scripture, we talk about my little friend Zacchaeus. Before, before worship, I was chatting with Eli, and I said, do you know the song? So how many of you, when Anne listened, you know, when she read the, the scripture, as soon as you heard the word Zacchaeus, how many of you had it in your head? How many of you had the song in your head? Yep, mm-hmm, yes. Um, and once I sang it for Eli this morning, he said, oh, yeah, I do remember hearing that. We think of Zacchaeus of that, as that story of the wee little man up in the sycamore tree. And all Jesus wanted to do was come to his house for tea or dinner. But, you know, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And you remember Anne's story last week about the tax collector? He, sat, he stood way in the back because he knew he was not worthy of coming forward. He was sorry already for his condition. Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, it says he was the chief tax collector. So how many of you have ever been in a supervisory position and you get held accountable for what? What you do and what, every, what everybody on your team does. So he not only was probably cheating a few people, he was overlooking, looking the other way when his team was cheating other people. But he was convicted of that. He felt guilty. And after Jesus was at his house, he had a change of heart. And he said he was going to pay back all the people he had cheated and that he was going to give half of his wealth to the poor. I have a sneaking suspicion he was kind of wealthy. You know, I, I just, just a feeling. And he was so convicted of his sin and his need to repent that he was willing to turn his back on that kind of activity and he was willing to walk toward where God wanted him. And we're going to trust. We don't hear, you know, there's, there's not the rest of the story. We don't get, you know, and five years later, Zacchaeus was still being an honest man, right? I, I, I like that. I like, you know, stories with a continued, find out what happens to them a year later, whatever. But verse 10 says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. Do you think that included Zacchaeus? You think he was kind of wandering off on the wrong path? Well, if we're living in such a way that we are ignoring God's truth, ignoring God's command, then we are lost. We've wandered off the path. In Psalm 119, Anne read, in verse 144, your laws are always right. Help me to understand them so I may live. 
you're not lost, you're not going off the cliff, so that I may live. Without God's law, without his word and his truth, we will die. The writer of the psalm knew that. He knew that it is important for us to walk that path and follow those truths. So back to the word repent. For Zacchaeus to be saved, he had to turn his back on the old life and not look back. He had to turn around and walk away. And I was thinking that that might have cost him some friendships because maybe some of those other tax collectors on his team would not have wanted to give away their wealth, to stop cheating people. You know, they, they wanted a, a, a new horse or a new donkey or finer clothes or a, a, a bigger house. They wanted to, to uh, maintain the style of life to which they had become accustomed. And if he wasn't going to do it himself as their boss, he probably wasn't going to stop looking the other way when they did it. So he may have lost friendships. He may have lost professional respect. We don't hear about his new life, but we trust that that dinner with Jesus was indeed the start of a new life. So can you think of other things which, of which we may have to repent? Perhaps like Zacchaeus, involved in some dishonest business dealings. Or maybe our things are a little bit less dishonest, but still keeping us from coming or going on the way that Jesus would like us to go. Perhaps they're just taking the place of our time with God. Perhaps they're getting in our way. Perhaps they are taking away time with God. The focus here is repentance. Disciples, as Anne pointed out, as we've just said, are aware that we sin. That makes us aware of the need to repent. And true repentance is not just a perfunctory, sorry, Lord, like, you know, pardon me, can I get to the can of soup? Sometimes it means confessing to a pastor, another prayer partner, someone like that. Coming, before, coming together with someone so that you are accountable for your repentance. Sometimes it means getting down on your knees and pouring it out in tears. More importantly, it means turning around. It means walking the other way. I read an article by a guy named Joel Lindsay, never heard of him before I read the article, so I cannot vouch for any of his background, but he outlined several steps to repentance. And one of, one of them was to be honest with ourselves about our need to repent and be honest about wanting to change. He also mentioned it was important to acknowledge the damage that our sin is doing. Maybe there are people that are being hurt. Think of Zacchaeus. How many people did he squeeze them to their last penny where they couldn't afford to go buy flour? So to, on, to acknowledge that there are repercussions to the sins we're committing. And then to honestly and fully confess. 
even though God already knows what you've done, pour out your heart to him. Be totally transparent. Make yourself vulnerable to God. Like I said, maybe on your knees with tears pouring down your face. Then take refuge in God's love. Let him hold you and comfort you and strengthen you. Let him hide you when the enemy comes after you. He'll protect you. He'll be there to make sure that you can withstand that attack. Fling those arrows in the other direction. And then grab onto the hope that comes from knowing that God will forgive you and will give you the strength to turn and walk away. How do you know? Well, you know, God's promises are true. Whatever he promised, he will fulfill. He promised Adam and Eve that he would crush the enemy. He promised Abraham to claim and protect a people. He promised Moses to provide a safe way for sinful humans to meaningfully relate to a holy God. And he gave a promise to David to provide a once and for all eternal king for his people. He honors his promises. So what's the promise that we hold on to? Through, thank you, keep going, eternal life through the gift of, very good. <laughs> I did not prompt her, I promise. Jesus Christ is that promise. His death and resurrection are that hope. Once you repent and accept that forgiveness, God will walk with you as you walk the other way, his way. There will be people around you who can help you, mentor you, support you. But God is the one sending you his Holy Spirit. People will hold you accountable if you ask them to. You can talk about it with them. You can pray about it with them. You could make a plan of action. And you know what I just thought of? There's this weird thing that some of you may have heard of in a huddle called a learning circle. And on one side, we repent. We discuss it. We consider it. And then you, you get to the point where you're ready to obey. So you form a plan. You find an accountability partner, a prayer partner, who will help you and support you and be there. And then you act. It just kind of hit me. It sounds just like the learning circle. So, once we repent, is that it? Is it a one-time deal? Kind of like we thought at the first COVID shot, that's it, we're over it, we're done? We never have to repent again, right? And we'll be perfect. I'm seeing, I'm seeing no nods, I'm seeing all like this. No, it, it's a constant thing because maybe you've walked away from this thing, but then there's this other thing. You're gonna have to walk away from that one too. And sometimes you have to do it in steps. Maybe there's a big thing and you can only walk away from part of it at a time. 
all right, Father, I'll give you this part of my life today. And then the next day, okay, Father, I'm ready to give you this part today. Now I'm, I'm ready to walk away from this part today. Or maybe it's completely unrelated things and places and people that you're ready to walk away from. It's a constant thing. So we, when, when we're talking about the learning circle part of it, it's kind of, sometimes it's like a slinky. It's not just a circle, a nice neat circle, it's all tied up in a bow and we're done. It's kind of like a slinky, you know, you, you get there and you go, oh, now I need to repent of this. Oh, now I need to repent of this. Now there's another thing. It's a constant thing. We will have to repent for the rest of our lives of something. None of us is going to reach perfection until we reach heaven. If we repent, God will forgive us. He will be there just as he was at the home of Zacchaeus, changing our heart and showing us what we need to do and which way we need to follow the path. So what is your main focus, your main way of doing this repenting? You're probably not going to be, you know, doing it out loud to everybody. It's time of prayer. Spending that time in prayer, that focused, dedicated, intentional time with God. He wants to talk to you, and he wants to hear what you have to say. So I encourage you to take time every day, maybe more than once, focused, intentional time, and in those times of prayer, ask God to show you if there are things of which you need to repent, because sometimes we don't see them. You know, there's, there's, that, um, there's that scripture about a log and a, and a splinter. You know, it's really easy to see the splinter in Kim's eye, but, you know, I can't see that log in my own, but she can probably see mine, and she can probably help me get rid of that. God will do that. He will show you the splinter or the log or anything in between. Once you know and you do repent, Ask him and trust him to forgive you and to lead you in the other direction because he will. Christ died so that you can have new life. So as I've come to a close to this message, and, and it was not lost on me that in the psalm it says that, that they were short of stature, a small person, we may feel small before the Lord, but he loves you, and he wants to forgive your sins. He wants to lead you where he, want, he needs you and wants you to go and do what he wants you to accomplish for his mission and your ministry. So as I close the message, and the band will come forward and do what they do so well, as we prepare for communion, you can sing the song or you can use that time to sit, chat with God. You can come light a candle. You can meet the prayer team over here in the side room. Whatever God puts on your heart right now. So let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we acknowledge our need to repent. 
truly repent, when you show us places in our life where we need to turn and walk away, send your Holy Spirit to guide us, show us what you want us to do, let us be totally transparent to you, let us find times to come to you in prayer, to hear what you are saying to us and what we are supposed to be doing. Thank you for your son, for his death that brings us forgiveness and eternal life, and for your faithful promises, which you will always keep. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>